Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today's guest is a real-life superhuman in my book. The guy spent most of his life running into burning buildings and towards most scenarios that we would run from without hesitation. He is now an author, father, husband, and podcast host with big goals and big stories. Today, we've got Jason Sautel on the show. Jason, welcome. Thank you for coming. It's a privilege to have you today. Trevor, it's so good to be here. Superhuman. Are you freaking kidding me right now? I'm more of a self-described biggest nobody you've ever met, but I so appreciate that upgrade, my friend. <laughs> Dude, I, I have to make you feel like the president at least one day a week, right? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll ask you, which president are we talking about first off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll answer that off of yeah, that'll be, the interview. <laughs> that'll be a whole nother show. Yeah, but so you spent most of your life fighting fires and you started at a very young age with that. And I really want to talk about some of the stories that you have from your time with the fire department, but I also want to get into the moment that you learn that, you know, I've got a bigger purpose in this life and I don't know what that is yet, but I'm going to chase it. And I want to talk about all things, Jason today. I want to highlight your story. I want to talk about your journey into becoming the biggest nobody you would <laughs> ever meet without knowing there's somebody um, with 718,000 people following your Facebook page. Um, but let's start from the beginning, man. What's your story? What did your childhood look like? Let's dive deep, my friend. Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, as a child growing up during the first like ages one through six, I would say it was probably pretty much normal. You know, mom and dad life was kind of just whatever. You really don't think about it when everything's kind of on an even keel. But around age seven, my mom ended up leaving my dad. She moved 500 miles away to Northern California and I ended up staying with my dad. Well, that's when reality kind of kicked in as why she left. My dad was an abusive man. He was a Vietnam veteran. He suffered with polio and the demons of his past would always come out. And unfortunately, when they would come out because I was the only child in his household, he'd take it out on me. So my childhood was pretty rough, man. It was safer for me to kind of live in my own head in my own world than to actually bother him. And when I say bother him, it would be ask for dinner, ask for school supplies, ask for clothes, or even ask to go outside and play. So I just stayed quiet and I shut into my own little uh, head, if you will, to kind of survive my uh, early childhood years. So it was pretty tough from ages like seven to about 16. And it was even tough after that. But right about age 16 is when I kind of started feeling like I didn't need him as much. And I left home and I would just skateboard, hang out, couch surf and uh, live with other people. And I was also a high school dropout at that age too. So I basically just shut everything out from my past and started moving forward with my life. But unfortunately, it was in a totally wrong way because I was running with the wrong crowd and uh, chasing the love that I never had at home outside of my house. And unfortunately, we all kind of know where that leads when you uh, start running around and running amok without any guidance. Yeah. And in your book, you talk about moments where you would be in gym class in high school and you would have no gym clothes. Tell us about some of the stuff you went through in high school and you would go home and you would have an abusive father and then you'd go to school and you would get almost kind of verbally abused there. Yeah, it wasn't almost verbally abused. It truly was verbally abused that I was. So the issue would be is in high school to go play sports or during PE, you had to have a uniform. 
Well, if I asked my dad for a uniform, it never went very well. He would either yell at me, scream at me, you know, he didn't have the money and he would just take it out on me. So when I was at school, then they would yell at me, you need a PE uniform. And and here I was kind of stuck in the middle. And I kind of think of my junior high years, the formative years there, when, when you're kind of going through changes and, you know, you're no longer a child, but you're not adult. You're just so confused. Well, what hurt so bad was I would have to stand on the blacktop when we would have roll call for PE and they would check to make sure everyone was dressed out in their PE gear and they would sit there and make fun of me, meaning the PE coaches, the teachers, because I wanted to be different. Well, what sucked so bad is I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like all the other kids. I wanted the uniform. I wanted to go out and participate in sports, but they wouldn't let me. And so they would sit there in front of everyone, make fun of me. Then they would have the class kind of make fun of me. Then they would sit there and say, well, everyone's going to miss PE today because of Jason. Well, how do you think that made me feel? I was horrible because I didn't want that to happen. So here I was feeling like an outcast already because of my horrible home life. And then the struggles I was going through at school. And then they were making it even worse, which almost ingrained me. Yep, I'm an absolute loser. It just made me feel like I was the biggest loser on the face of the earth. And all the adults in my life, they confirmed it. And it was really a tough time, that's for sure. Yeah, and I can remember being in high school, and I never really thought of when people would show up without gym clothes, you just automatically assume, oh, they're rebelling or they're just not wanting to do what they're told. But being in high school, you you don't really put two and two together. You're not like, oh, maybe they can't afford it, or maybe I should offer to give them an extra pair that I have. I would have never thought of that. So um, with not knowing that as a high schooler, I remember seeing people doing that, and I never offered a helping hand. And it really puts into perspective on what things we're learning and what things we need to learn in high school. And I feel like teachers are trained a a good bit better now on how to handle situations like that, which is a blessing, but um, it obviously didn't help that you were a part of them learning that. Well, you know, Trevor, looking at it back from my view now, obviously I wasn't a Christian then because I was raised in a faithless home. So I could harbor that hanger and just be so mad to this day and just dwell on it. And obviously we'll get to my conversion story in a little bit, but looking back at it now, what I do is I use that to help other people. I look out and I try to see someone who is the outcast, who's standing off to the side, who is different and whether they're different because they want to be, or that's how they ended up going through life and they don't have the means that we do, I search those folks out and I I just reach out to them, man. And so I use those experiences of my past to try to bless other people now because I remember how bad it hurt. And if someone would have just said, hey, here's a PE uniform, they wouldn't even need to counsel me. They wouldn't even have to give me any testimony, if you will. They just showed me a little bit of love, man. It would have helped me out so much. So I try to use that story to do that and help other people out. Have you found yourself wanting to step in with public schools and offer any help there since you've kind of grown up and went through it? Maybe your kids going through high school and they see people. Have you found that the more you talk about it, the more people just start to feel for that person, even though they didn't walk through those shoes? Well, you know, it's kind of tough because being in ministry, you got to sometimes pick or choose the lane that you're in. You want to do everything. Should I, should I just go in and help the homeless or should I now go and help uh, women and, and children that are being trafficked? And should I help? And you wonder what lane you're going on. So what I do is I just try to put my testimony out there to everyone, explain to them what I went through and maybe a teacher reads it. 
Maybe a parent reads it. Maybe someone else sees the message. And then I'm praying that, you know, Christ will get in their heart and start working that way. So what I do is my lane is just by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you know, loving on people regardless of where they come from and hoping these stories get out there and touch the hearts, lives, minds, and souls of people. So the changes can really happen. So that's kind of how I do it. I do it broad-based, but I don't do it as a way of saying, Oh, that's not my lane or that's not my lane. I just try to do it however I can to get it out to as many people as possible. Man, that's so good. And going from a high school dropout to working with a fire department, how did that transition go? And of course, the notorious story of you watching your high school graduation from the top of a fire truck. Yeah. So what happened was obviously without being given the uh, help and the assistance to kind of backtrack why I left high school was I would show up to school unprepared, which obviously would drive the teachers nuts. Well, they would yell at me, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. But at home, I didn't have the assistance. I didn't have anyone helping me. And people can say, well, you could have done it on your own and pushed through. But I I say, well, did you grow up in a system of abuse? Did you grow up as maybe someone in the fifth grade trying to complete a project and you have a dad yelling at you, gosh, darn it, it's the job of the teachers to do it. And teachers are yelling at you, your parents are supposed to help you. And then folks will say, well, there's libraries. Well, library is three miles away and I'm nine years old. How's that going to work out? Okay. So unfortunately that embedded in me early and I started really not enjoying school. I wanted to, but I basically felt like I was in a fishbowl looking outside of everyone else. They were having fun. I could see they were having fun, but all I heard was blah, 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 is what it felt like, you know, as opposed to, to, to partaking in the joy that they were having. So as I worked my way through my high school years, obviously there came a point where they couldn't push me through anymore. And at the age of 16, I was thrown out. And when I was thrown out of school, they threw me into a world I was so not ready for, man. It was horrible. So I was also at the age where I could now kind of talk back to my dad and come up on him. And, you know, I wouldn't have fist fights or anything. So I would just leave and I'd grab my skateboard and I would go hang out with other skaters and guys like myself. And we would skate the swimming pools of Southern California, the drain swimming pools. And, you know, I, I never felt good about the bad things we were doing. It always felt wrong, but we started doing bad things. And it finally dawned on me that I needed to clean myself up and get myself straight. And so I joined a thing called the California Conservation Corps, where you basically went to parks and you made trails and you picked up garbage on the side of the freeway. And you're basically working as a team with other folks that were struggling too, and tried to pull yourself out of wherever you came from. So it's a really good program. But if you don't use it, it's kind of a a path to nowhere. Well, we were at a big fire one time in Southern California. We're during the firestorms and we're working in fire camp. And when I was in that fire camp and we were feeding the firefighters, that was our job. We weren't fighting the fire. I started talking to this one firefighter. He started telling me about the job as a whole, meaning about fighting fire, helping people, doing paramedic stuff. I was like, dude, that sounds so awesome. Actually, I'd really like to do that because I wanted to help other people that were struggling, I think had to do with my past background of struggling so much that it would be so awesome to help other people that needed, needed help in their, their times of need. So 
I ended up asking like, what do you got to do to be a fireman? And he goes, well, you need a high school diploma. <laughs> well, that was out because <laughs> I didn't have a high school diploma. So I went back and I got my GED. And as soon as I did, I applied to the California Department of Forestry and became a, a wildland firefighter where we also um, fought city fires when needed too, because we worked in the county areas and stuff. And at the age of 18, I became a firefighter. And what was so crazy was I was actually assigned to the district that my high school was in. And the day I was supposed to graduate in 1993, I actually watched my graduation from my fire engine because we we're standing by, you know, community events, I'll pull a fire engine to come and hang out. And ours was an outdoor thing. And I remember just hearing them calling names when they got to the S's. In my mind, I said, dude, that's right where my name should have been. And it was so weird because I kind of felt humiliated on one side of I didn't get to graduate with my class. But on the flip side, here I was sitting on a fire truck. And if any one of my classmates needed help, this outcast who's a loser that they all made fun of my whole life, I would have hopped off and gone and rescued him, man. So it was kind of this weird parallel that's kind of humiliating. But on the flip side, looking back, it's kind of a cool, cool thing to be part of and a cool story. It is a cool story. And the really unique thing is you did end up helping those people. You were the rescuer and which led into um, your fire career and then going in and becoming an author and a speaker and a mentor for so many people. Did it ever click for you that, oh, I might share my story one day. My story might be a book one day. I might have a <laughs> podcast one day. Right. Did any of that <laughs> ever click to you? No. <laughs> As you can see, I'm a man of a few words. Just kidding. I'm a man of many words, but on that one, no, it never clicked at the time. So when I was a young man and I was still struggling, I became a firefighter hoping that it would make me feel better. And don't get wrong. There were times it was so amazing. I got to help people, but the kicker was the demons of my past had now entered me. I had an emptiness inside of me. And anytime I did something good, it would quickly be overran by the bad, meaning we would go and fight a fire and we'd put out someone's house and save their stuff. They thank me. And, you know, we didn't show up because we wanted to get thanked. But let's be honest, sometimes when we help other people, that, that feeling of gratitude they give us is like, oh, right on. That was kind of cool. But within minutes, the darkness and the emptiness inside me would would eat it up. So thinking future-wise at that point, I wasn't looking anything past the day-to-day of just trying to survive because, you know, I had depression. I had anxiety. I had PTSD was kicking in. There's a lot of issues I was, I was dealing with at the time. And also not being a follower of Christ, I kind of – my whole world revolved around me but not in a in an ungrateful way that I didn't care about other people. I was just doing everything I could to keep my head above water and not drown. And so when I look back at it now, yes, God was using me. He was letting me experience things. So one day I could become an author. One day I could podcast. One day I could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to the world. Yeah, he was letting me experience that. But I tell you what, when you're in the middle of the darkness and you feel like you're drowning, you're really not thinking about anything else except self-survival at the time. So to answer your question, yes, I've thought about it after the fact, obviously, is why I'm here with you. But during the darkness, no, man, I didn't really think about it whatsoever. What were some of the things that were contributing to that darkness that you were experiencing in life, especially when it comes to anxiety and depression, as you know, um, and with my platform, I try to spread hope and encouragement right. about mental health and overcoming these things. And even in my personal life, you know, I'm still maturing and learning about how to open these conversations. So like, um, 
who I am right now is just a person that wants to be more transparent in everything I do. I want to um, be used as a vessel for Christ to let light through. And that's exactly what transparency is, is to where light can go through something that um, can be used to replicate light. So when you were going through these dark stages, I know that we talked a little bit the other day about your views on suicide prevention and awareness and how those can be changed. Um, and especially for you as a firefighter, you've looked people in the eye as they're taking their last breath. And so many people will lose someone to suicide and instantly blame themselves. How can we help shape the narrative on that and even shift the way that mental health advocacy is pursued? Like for you as someone who's been on call for people that take their last breaths at the hands of suicide, how can we as a general public help make a healthy change in this? Well, you know, honestly, with the, what you just asked there, we could write textbook after textbook about that. There's so much that we can do, but I'm a believer of doing what you can with what you have and what's in front of you. So I'm a huge believer of flooding good information out there. Let's, let's flood everywhere with information because so often we, we try to take on so much ourselves. Of, I want to help this person. I want to help that person. I want to help. And yeah, we have to. So if someone is in front of you, first off, if there's anyone who is struggling right now, reach out, reach out to, to someone, reach out to a hotline, reach out to a family member, clergy member, friend, me, Trevor, someone just reach out. You guys, it's, I'm a huge believer in that. But, um, what, <laughs> sorry about that. We couldn't over. even hear it. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm sorry. I forgot to shut my phone down, dude. That's so rough, dude. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm That's how, you're forgiven. <laughs> I'm learning to do things. But no, so when it comes to answering that question, buddy, to go through it, there's so much that can be done. But what I think is the most important thing to do is what's in front of you. What do you have available to help others? So for me, it's about flooding social media with information, being real, being transparent. If I read a textbook and a textbook covers depression, anxiety, uh, suicide ideation, all sorts of stuff like that, it's a textbook. There's no feelings to it. And it's great knowledge. But as you mentioned, I think one of the greatest things we can do is be transparent, transparent with our lives, transparent with the way we live, transparent with the things that we've experienced in our past. So with me, being able to talk about my childhood, being able to talk about the rough things I've been as a firefighter. For instance, every scene that we go to, it affects us. Now it's weird, Trevor. Some don't affect me in ways you think it would. Like I could go to a horrific scene and for whatever reason, I walk away feeling normally messed up from like, ah, I kind of hurt. I really feel for that family, the, the empathy, the sympathy, the emotions are there. And, and, and I can healthily, you know, work my way through it in a healthy manner. But then there's those other scenes you go to, they stick to you, bro. For whatever reason, we can go biblical. We can go psychological. We can even go chemicals in our brains. What we're experiencing moment. I don't know. All I know, transparently speaking, is that scene messed with me and it messed me up. So. I then work my way through it. But I think one of the greatest ways to work our way through things is by sharing them with other people, working through them with other people. 
Now, I'm also a big believer while I'm going through stuff, one of the greatest ways for me to work my way through it is find the message within it that God's trying to reveal to me. But I don't want to put that stress on people either because I don't want someone in a really dark place. Okay, God, why am I going through this? No, I just want them to lean into his love. I want them to lean into the love of their friends and their their churches and all the resources they have. But in the back of their mind, I want them to also have that little, little seed of why am I going through this? I know there's a message of hope somewhere in this. And one day I'm going to share that with other people because when we have something to look forward to, I think that's a great way to start pulling ourselves out of the pit that we're in or us hanging on to the rope that Jesus has thrown in that pit to help pull us out. But we now have hope. And sometimes for me, the hope of the struggle is I know there's a message within this. And I know for a fact God wants me to use this message someday to help other people. So I think that's a great practical way, way to help. But honestly, I think the, the, what we got to do is wherever you are, whether you're a podcaster or not, whether you're an author, whether you're not is what's in front of you and how can you use it to help other people that are struggling. And that's the greatest thing we could do. Man, I love that so much. And one of the coolest things you've ever said to me is if you're ever having a panic attack or anything, just call me. We'll work call through me. it. Yeah. Um, and you were an EMT as well as a firefighter. And so you have these techniques that you can work through to help um, get past a panic attack. What techniques do you know that would help the general public? What are some things that we can do without yeah. having to spend money? Like when people think of mental health help and they think of, oh, I got to spend 130 something dollars to go see a therapist and this and that. There's actually some things and techniques you can do without spending any money and without having any physical thing to right. help you with it. What are some of those techniques that you could share with us? You know, I believe in a holistic approach. And when I say a holistic approach, I'm not talking worldly holistic. I'm talking about every gift that God has given us. Okay. And to use them wholly, starting with the WH, understanding that he's holy with the big H. All right. And, and, and wholly using everything in the holistic approach, meaning, you know what, man, I'm a big believer in humor. I'm a big believer in being like, all right. There's a time to laugh. Maybe I'm going to laugh, even if I don't feel like it. So sometimes, you know, approach me with a little bit of humor like I do with you. You know, Let, let's be transparent. You have a panic attack. I'm like, all right, brother, panic on. Let's laugh our way through it. You know, I, I'm not there, so I can't give you a hug. I can't can't give you the security that you really need sometimes. And honestly, sometimes when the people are in the middle of a panic, I, I look at it like this. People are like, you're a fireman, so you you can be on the top of a high rise. Dude, when I look over a high rise, I panic. Okay. I'm like, whoa. Well, it feels good when you have the, the firefighters all there and you're tied in and you have all your gear on and they're holding you and you feel their strength. Well, now I'm not panicking and I'm on the edge. So what I like to tell people is when you're on the edge and you're having that panic attack, panic attack, feeling like something horrible is going to happen to have people come around you and just hold you and you lean into their strength, knowing that their strength comes from God. And then we tell you, Hey, Trevor, Jesus has got you. But if I'm sitting here looking into a computer and I'm going, Hey, Trevor, God's got you. Oh, thanks. Okay. Where's the help in that man. But when I come through and I, from a distance go, bro, I'm not experiencing what you're experiencing. I have had panic attacks and they're real and they're so scary. And I can see the fear that you're having right now. Let's work through it and then start a conversation of saying, Trevor, what can I do for you? Or sometimes just listen, 
because a lot of times I think the quote rescuer overdoes it and sometimes puts more stress on the person having a panic attack. So here's something with me. I, I have bouts of depression. I have bouts of PTSD and my wife and I have learned over the years, some of the best things she can do is just be there for me and ask what I need. Because if she goes, well, I just want to help you, but I feel like I can't, which is a totally understandable, loving thing that the person's doing that puts more stress on me because now I'm stressing out because I feel like I'm failing her because I'm not giving her a way to help me. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, so to kind of round back to, to that question, I think one of the greatest things that we can do is just be there and ask the person what they need. But I'm also going to throw a challenge out there to people who do struggle. Answer that question. Honestly, tell those people around you what you need. Be okay with saying, I'm not okay. We, we need to get to that point, man. You know, I, I'm a big tough guy. It, it's taken me so long to say it. If you were to ask me a few years in the fire department, if you were okay, yeah, I'm okay. But if you looked in my eyes, you would see a guy who was not okay. So we got to find people who we can also have around us that we feel comfortable with saying, I'm not okay. Because if you flood your life with people you can't be transparent with, it's not going to work and you're going to take on even more burdens. So surround yourself with people you can truly talk to. And, and that's a challenge I, I like to throw out there to people also, because I think that we also have to take on a little responsibility on ourselves to reach out for a little help. But if you don't have the right people around you, you're not going to get the help that you need. A hundred percent. And one thing that's always like haunted me or before I started like diving into vulnerability and finding power and being vulnerable I was always like, man, my brothers are going to think I'm a wimp or right. my dad's going to think I'm a sissy, this, that, and the other. And it's like being a guy and being open about mental health and being open about the struggles that we face daily, it, it takes more of an effort up front, but the reward is so beneficial after the fact. It's like you're not carrying all that stress. Guys being all macho all the time, that that comes with a lot of stress and stress deteriorates your body. It deteriorates your mental health. It brings so much like it, when I get stressed, I start breaking out on my face. So like, I can't lie to people it, like, how are you doing? It's like, dude, I'm stressed. And they're like, oh yeah, I can tell. Right. Like I get acne when I get stressed. So last week I had, um, I was breaking out. My parents were like, mm, like, uh, let's not ask him about, um, work or anything like that. And it's like, you know, I'm going to be honest with myself. I'm going to be real with myself. And I used to chase platform. I used to chase having followers. I used to chase mm -hmm. all of these things that are never going to bring me this satisfaction that I thought they would. And now since I've kind of taken a step back and being like, I don't care about analytics. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about my Instagram feed look in a certain way. Who cares? Right. Like when I get put in a grave or it's it going to be, Oh, Trevor and his 10,000 Instagram follow blah, blah, blah. 10,000. It, 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 it doesn't matter. Um, nobody's really going to care about that. They're going to care about the person that you were and the legacy that's going to live on. And it's up to us to be like, Hey, this is the legacy that I want to live on past me. This is what I want to be known for. But also I feel like we focus too much on what we're going to be known for. And we don't focus right. on who we're being right now. And right. with me being a single guy, am I being the husband? Wait, that let's I stop right there. You're single. 
I'm single. I'm 100% <laughs> single. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> wow. All right. Girls, yeah. are we listening here? Sorry, Trevor. I had to throw Woo-hoo. that out there. <laughs> um, me being the single guy right now, it's like, am I being the husband that I want my wife to marry one day? Am I being the dad that I want my kids to look up to one day? And that helps drive me. That helps me be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be um, looking at this on the internet. Maybe I shouldn't be having these conversations right now. Maybe I shouldn't download this app. Like, and it just it, right. it gives you a holistic approach on life. It's really just like if Jesus was around right now, would he really want? me swiping left and right on Bumble or Tinder, all these dating apps that might be foreign to you, but are very, very openly accessible to people nowadays, like teenagers. Uh, I read the statistic the other day and it's like, we're growing up with the next generation of leaders. We're not going to have a pastor that hasn't sent a nude photo before. And that's just wild to think about. Yeah. So it's just so wild to think about. And it's so taboo to talk about, but that's what we do here at Trevor Talks. We talk about very taboo things and who cares, man? Like if we're going to get canceled for something, let's get canceled for something that matters. Let's have conversations with people that they're not going to hear anywhere else. I want to bring value to people's lives. I want to talk about the things that nobody else wants to talk about. And yeah, we're going to have pastors that we're we're gonna have a whole generation of pastors that have a past and it's gonna be very openly accessible. So are we gonna keep canceling pastors or are we gonna meet them where they're at and be vessels for them? There's this really cool ministry that I follow called Energize Ministries and they just their whole goal is to provide encouragement, recreational activities, uh retreats for pastors and it doesn't cost them a dime. And it's like how can we do that? Like mm. we're going to have the next generation of Jason's and um, pastors around the world that have these very, very accessible paths. They've got Instagram right. accounts from when they were running in gangs or selling drugs or um, porn stars. You don't know what these kids are doing nowadays. Like right. um, it, it, it's just so openly accessible to screw up for everybody to see. And when you put something on the internet, even if it goes away, it's always going to be there. So with all of that being said, man, this, this next generation of leaders being worried about getting canceled every five seconds. I know you don't really think like, Oh, better not get canceled today. You're very blunt about what you say. And I appreciate that. I I I want to be canceled. Let's go cancel. We're going to, we're going to title this episode. Cancel this cancel this i love that wonder where that came from man that's an amazing <laughs> turn. i would love it so here's something i do want to encourage everyone out there because you know i'm pushing 50 years old but i don't feel like it no man. you're not you're not a what? day over 49 i don't well wow dude actually i'm 48 wow, i don't <laughs> count birthdays anymore somewhere but here's something again i want to talk about And it's going to sound preachy, but it's not because as you know, I am never going to preach anything without holding up a mirror and looking in to myself and finding my screw ups. It's so important to me. But when I start becoming the Jason, this world wants me to be, dude, there's so much to cancel because there's nothing good coming from it. Like you're talking about sending pictures, doing this, and there's no judgmental on that whatsoever, not judging people. But that's the stuff the world says is okay. But when I fall back and you kind of mentioned, you know, the whole, well, is Jesus okay with that? The way I look at it is be the you that God created you to be. Don't be the you that the world created you to be. Because if you start becoming the you that this world wants you to be, when this world is done with you, it's going to cancel you. 
And then if that's all that you know, the pain that you're going to feel from that is just going to crush you deep on the inside. But if you chase being the you that God wants you to be, bro, you can't be canceled. Sister, you can't be canceled. No one is going to cancel you, even for the screw-ups of your past. I have so many screw-ups of my past. I have so many things that I talk about to people. And if someone wants to grab a hold of that and cancel me, cancel away because that was the worldly stupid stuff I was chasing. But when I am chasing the love of God and I have it pour into me, come out of me and show it to other people, well, that can't be canceled. So that's why I say cancel this. Okay, go ahead. Because (laughs) if the world cancels something within me that I was chasing, it was useless anyways and cancel it out. But you can't cancel out my faith and you can't cancel out true love, bro. And that's so good. And I really want to dive into chapter 13 of your book where you met your wife and uh, <laughs> you weren't necessarily looking for that special someone um, in that season, but everything just kind of lined up and I want to use it. I know the majority of uh, my audience is single um, and I really found it encouraging to hear the unique story that you went through with meeting Christy and what essentially set you up for the rest of your life. So, uh, share this love story and, uh, all the nitty gritty things in between there. And, uh, yeah. yeah. How'd you meet her? Let's go. So first off, before I share my love story, I have to also include all the, the messed up relationships I had all the times I screwed up. So let's talk about that. I never had a foundation for a relationship. As a young fireman, dude, I was never rich, but I was definitely never poor. Out here in California, firefighters make a pretty good living. Well, let's be honest. There also comes this image that comes with it. And sometimes when you, the person, idolize the image this world sees of you, you quickly get blown up onto this pedestal. And to do that as a young firefighter with a nice house, with, you know, the boats, the trucks, and, you know, always working out and then running into burning buildings and rescuing people and stuff. I mean, it's the whole knight in shining armor thing. But check this out. From the outside looking in, my life looked perfect. I could pick up a girl anytime you wanted. And for you young guys and gals out there, just hear me out for a second on this. I would pick someone up, hang out with them. But then the emptiness inside of me would end up just using them for my, my pleasure. I'm not talking sexually. I'm not talking in, in an immoral way, meaning I just wanted someone in my life, that kind of pleasure. I wanted someone because I didn't want to be alone anymore, but they could never fulfill that need. And then the emptiness inside of me would just destroy that relationship. So. When I was going through all of this, a young girl entered my life and she was a waitress. But when I saw her and don't get me wrong, my wife is the hottest chick on the face of the earth. Okay. But I didn't see her outward beauty as much. I saw the way she was acting, the way she was carrying herself, the way she was interacting with people, this light that we all hear about shining out of people. I didn't recognize what it was, but she was a young Christian girl at the time. And she was acting out her faith, even at work. And it was like, she was just different than anyone else I ever dated. And I was so attracted right away that it was like, you know, a cartoon character with his eyes popping out, tongue dropping to the ground. (laughs) I what I felt like. And when I asked her out and she accepted, we started dating. Well, 
the demons of my past, again, wanted to have someone there to make me feel comfortable, make me feel safe, have someone I can talk with. And it was all about me and I, I, I that we're going here. But she put a stop to that because she could see the emptiness with inside of me. And I remember one day after some really tough calls, I was talking. And when, when I talk tough calls in the fire department, especially in West Oakland, a big city uh, fire department where we have a lot of crime and a lot of just bad things constantly happen. I mean, I worked in a district where we had over 200 murders per year, just shootings like you can't imagine. So I went to a lot of rough stuff and that doesn't even count the fatality fires that we went to and just the car wrecks. Well, one day she asked me, how was work? And I told her how work was. And that's such a dangerous question to ask a firefighter, but it needs to be asked or a police officer because we're going to come in and possibly drop an atomic bomb on you. When you ask me how my day at work was and I turn around and tell you, well, you know what? I was holding a six-year-old girl who was the victim of a hit and run and she was dead. And I had her in my arms as her mom was saying goodbye to her. That's how my day was. Bro, that's an atomic bomb in most circles. You know, the whole small group thing. Hey, what was your high? What was your low? Please don't ask me that. Okay. <laughs> you go first. All right. When you go to when you go to small group, man, they just need to skip that question. <laughs> just skip that question because it's like, what? I just know. But anyways, again, Trevor, we just came up with a whole nother uh, uh, episode we'll go with here. But to go back to it, Christy asked me how my day was and I'd never told anyone. But because I felt so comfortable with her, instead of the classic, ah, oh, fine, you know, just out there being doing firefighter stuff, a couple fires, a few car wrecks, I told her. And I looked into her eyes, bro, and she was crying. And all I could think was, all right, Jason, you ruined another relationship. You messed this up. But I didn't. She was showing me sympathy, empathy, and caring for me. And it just blew me away, man. And because of her background and growing up in the church, even though I know lots of people grew up in the church without becoming Christians, she was a follower of Christ. And she showed me that love, dude. And it was so crazy. But she asked me a question, and I'll never forget it was when I told her about the little girl who was hit by the car and died. She goes, well, that girl's with Jesus, right? And I was like, I don't have an answer for you because I wasn't a Christian. I didn't believe I had no foundation of faith, but she looked back at me and she didn't say, Oh, and start talking to me about the gospel or anything. Dude, she just hugged me and said she wanted to talk to me later that night. And it felt good on one side, but then on the flip side, I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to lose this girl. She's going to dump me. Dude, tonight. I hate it when people do that. It's like, we need to talk. It's like, God, just call me when you want to talk. Just Don't tell me beforehand. Yeah. I'm going to overthink it. I'm going to reevaluate my life right. and start yeah. planning to sell my house and yeah, everything exactly. else. Like, <laughs> If you can text me, let's talk. We're talking. Keep going. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Let's keep moving forward. I'm a big believer in that. But what she did that night was actually really beautiful because she was in school and she was working. And she flat out told me that she was in love with me, but she also saw what a mess I was. And she says, I'm not going to continue to date you unless you become, not unless you become, she says, let me restate that. She says, I'm not going to continue to date you unless you come to church with me. She didn't say I needed to become a Christian. She said I didn't need to accept Jesus, but she knew that there was something missing within me. She also knew she wasn't capable of giving me the full message of what Christianity is about, the gospel of Jesus Christ, all that. So she invited me to church. Dude, no one had ever done that because every church experience I had prior to her was horrible. 
And, and it felt so good, man, to actually have someone to invite me out to the bar, invite me out to a drink, invite me to, oh, Jason, it's going to be all better. She's like, yeah, I'm actually taking you to the hospital. And <laughs> this know? is after you experienced a church running you off because you didn't meet their dress code. Yeah, let me give that one to you real quick, bud, because it's, you know me, I'm an anti-legalist when it comes to the church stuff. So I've grown up surfing. I still surf. And on my days off, I would go surfing. And one day I was just, and this was before I met Christy. I was done, dude. I was at the end of my rope. I mean, seriously, I was at the point where I needed something or I was going to take my own life. And so I remember seeing this little church down the street from me and everyone going in there looked happy. So I said, I'm going to go and check it out. Well, the night before I went to church, man, the, the spiritual attack started happening even before as a Christian, the devil did not want me to go to that church. And, uh, he, he made sure of that. And so the next morning when I woke up, I put on my, my best board shorts. I kicked on my bands. I put on my cleanest t-shirt I had and off I'm going to church. And as I walked up to the front door, the two greeters, they became bouncers. And these two guys said, you can't come in here dressed like that. Now, hear me out. I do not like to talk myself up, but I pulled people out of fires. I have a medal of valor. I have awards hanging on my wall for rescuing people, just showing up, helping without judging, knowing nothing about these people and doing my job. But these two guys are now telling me I'm not good enough to come into their church the way I'm dressed. Dude, if one person inside of that church needed me or one of those bouncers slash greeters dropped to the ground in a heart attack at that moment, I'd start CPR on them and do mouth to mouth, even if they had hepatitis, HIV, AIDS, or COVID or whatever the <laughs> big scary thing is out there right now. I would do that, but they wouldn't let me in their church. And I walked away devastated. Trevor, I, I don't cry. I never cry. I walked away with my ears welted up because all I wanted at that point in my life was a hug, someone to tell me I was going to be okay. I wanted someone to take the pain of my past, the pain of seeing kids murdered, seeing people shot, seeing people hurt. I wanted someone to inside that church just to hug me and tell me it was going to be okay. But what did they do? They turned me away. And the next morning was the morning that I started writing my suicide note and started going through the process of taking my own life. And just to continue with this story, I didn't follow through, obviously. And the reason I didn't follow through is because someone reached out to me and took me to breakfast. So that person who took me to breakfast, even to this day, they're not a Christian. They're not a follower of Christ, but they saved my life. So let that sink in for a minute, church. You turned me away and an atheist saved my life. It's crazy, man. And to finish with that story, Trevor, I never want to put any burdens on people because you know that's a huge thing about me is I hate stressing people out. Sometimes people say, well, maybe I should have reached out to that person. Well, you know what? Just make yourself available. He made himself available to me. So don't ever freak out if you don't reach out to someone. Don't ever put the fault or the blame on you. But what I try to tell people is what I learned from that story is make myself available to everyone, just like my best friend made himself available to me and took me out to breakfast. Man, that's so good. And um, before we went on that, you were talking about uh, your first encounter with Christy. Mm -hmm. You uh, met her at the diner. She took you to church. Mm -hmm. um, and here you are. How long have y'all been married? Oh, 
Come on, bro. That's we're a gonna bad have to have a talk. When you get married, men don't ask men questions like that because we're gonna mess it up. But Christy blessed me. We met in 02. We got married in 04. First child in 06, second child in 08. So uh, pull it out of one of those dates right there. <laughs> so we've been married since that was back in 2002. And uh, we we got married and well, she finally decided to say yes in 2004. It took a little while and stuff, but uh, but she finally said yes to me. And, you know, the, the thing about it, bro, is having a partner in life is so amazing. But what Christy and I both know and what she knew before me is it wouldn't work unless we had a Christ-centered marriage. She knew it wouldn't work if she didn't find a man who loved Jesus more than her. And she taught me early on when I was a baby Christian why I needed a woman who loved Jesus more than me. And if now I am preaching, if y'all don't have that, good luck to you. And I don't believe in luck. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so I'm a true believer in, in having that Christ centered marriage relationship and uh, making him the focal point of all you do. Man, I love that so much. And your book, The Rescuer, is available everywhere. I personally listen on Audible, and the Audible production is great. I know we have a lot of authors on this podcast, but this is one of those books that I personally want to recommend for anybody that just needs encouragement, wants to have a good listen, wants to learn some value from Jason go pick up the book. And it's not just to make book sales for Jason. This book is an asset, it's a resource, it's something that I could see myself buying 10 copies of and taking them and dropping them off at a fire station or a police station or just giving it out to family for Christmas. Like genuinely, this is a resource for people. And I've seen Jason go out of his way to make sure that this resource becomes available to people that may not be able to afford it. So every single book that's sold, you know, Jason's probably given away 10 copies of it yeah. uh, for that book sale. So like, go check out this book and then you have a free resource that's coming out in a month or two, that's going to be available for people to get for free. You are, you have a podcast coming out and it's called Jesus is all we need. Tell us about this venture. I know that this is very recent for you. I've been super thrilled to walk through this with you. Um, It's had so many ups. I don't think we've had any downs yet, but I could be totally wrong on that. But this is, this is also a resource that's going to be genuinely free. There's no catch. Like podcasting is it is huge right now, but nobody's heard anything like what you're about to bring to the table with Jesus is all we need podcast. So give us the pitch, tell us where we could find it and uh, what's the heart behind it. Yeah. You know, it all started off with my Facebook pages. Jesus is all we need by Jason Sautel was writing and, and touching a lot of people. And I didn't realize how many people would like what this dumb fireman had to say, you know, and you it's are been such a dumb, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, what this, 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 uh, fireman gracefully saved by, uh, the love of God Better. has to write. How about that? Buddy? There we go. So, yeah. So anyways, um, the podcast is going to follow up exactly with it. You know, I love podcasts. I love the views of everyone. I love hearing the pastors, the preachers, the, the Trevors, the everyone out there. But what I realized is as a firefighter, I have a really kind of distinct view in life. When you've watched, you know, thousands of people take their final breaths and their eternities are being locked in and you're the one trained to save them although you can't meaning save their worldly life. 
It just changes the way you look at things. When you walk into a house where a mom can't feed her children and she called 911 because she had nowhere else to turn, it gives you a different perspective in life. It doesn't give you the perspective of, oh, these people need to do this or that. It gives you a perspective of, God put this person in front of me. How can I bless them in a way that's going to honor him? How can I selflessly show up, help them without judging? And that's a view that I want to bring into my podcast. When I talk to a guest, I want to talk to them about things that they've gone through, struggles that we can all relate to. Hey, maybe I'm going to have a guest on who's one of the most famous people in America right now because they've done some awesome stuff. And I think that's so great, but we all see that. I want to now show up as that fireman and, and actually ask them some questions, do the quick assessment on them and pull something more that people have not heard. So it will bless even more people with these huge platforms they have. And that's what I want to use this podcast to do and let the listener look at it and say, wow, that's really amazing. This person who is famous, who sold this many books actually goes into their little office, stares at the wall some days, and they're just depressed and they're struggling. I didn't know that. Now a true bond happens, but more than a bond, I now see the spark that God gave some hope to that person through a story that others might have never have told. And that's just what I want to do with that. Along, you know, there's so many other things too and stuff. I'm just so excited to do it. So yeah, the Jesus is all we need podcast is going to be launched on the Edify app. So excited. I got this amazing guy named Trevor helping me out with it. So uh, thank you, Trevor. I appreciate all that you're doing. And it's going to be, it's going to be an awesome experience. And I just can't wait to have people hear it and uh, see, see how it helps other people. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's my biggest concern is I can't be a fireman anymore because I broke my hip and my back. And the worst day of my life is when the doctor said I couldn't be a fireman anymore, but it's now become one of the greatest days of my life because look at what he's doing to use me and my past and all the bad experiences I've gone through to bless other people. Dude, now you're fighting with that spiritual fire. Come on, man. Yes, sir. That's like the cheesiest thing I could ever say. I was like, what can we what can we segue with that? And I was like, let's go with cheesy comedy. You're fighting spiritual fires now. Spiritual so, fire. Let's get well, it, man. Let's break it down, Trevor. I don't even fight spiritual fire. Now I'm going to make an easy segue for you. I have never put a fire out, even though I've responded to thousands. And people are like, what? Come on, man. You put fires out. No, I courageously showed up because I was called to be there. And then when I showed up, I had this thing called a hose and a nozzle in my hand. I opened it up and the cooling waters put the fire out. So here you go. We show up. We bring Christ. We courageously show up because showing up with Christ in a world that cannot stand him is freaking scary. It's scarier than fighting fire. But we show up and we unleash Jesus on him, bro. So he handles the fires in our lives. We just courageously show up with him and let, let him do his thing. Man, I love that so much. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been Mr. Jason Sautel. You can go find him on Facebook by searching Jesus is All We Need by Jason Sautel. You can go pick up his book, The Rescuer, on Audible, Amazon, wherever books are sold. As well as if you like this podcast and want to find other Christian podcasts, uh, go check out Edify app. And that's E-D-I-F-I dot app. And you can find more resources. They've got Sadie Robertson, John Maxwell, Greg Laurie, Jason, myself, so many amazing podcasts on that app. And they've got a whole network of Christian podcasts. 
curated just for you. You don't have to worry about finding all the bogus in there and uh, worrying about if you could listen with kids in the car or if you could play it at church or with your uh, family around. Go check out Edify. Be sure to like and subscribe to Trevor Talks Podcast. Find us on social media at Trevor Talks, and we will talk to you guys next week. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.